the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. To separate their faithful deeds because obviously at one point in their life they were doing faithful things for God it was influential for you from their unfaithful lives that they lived and so it's important for us to separate that so that you know our own security in our salvation or our own you know love for Jesus or our own involvement in the church does not become threatened because of someone else's failure in your life. God can work through anyone in any state that their spirit is in. He can work through someone living in sin if he chooses. But as Pastor Gary's going to warn today, it's important to remember that God hates sin. People will occasionally fall into sin, but that's no reason to just let it happen and not care. When you seek God first before anything else in your life, you'll see Him start to move in you. Sin only separates you from God, regardless of whether or not He still works through you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 16, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Judges chapter 16. So if you'll take your Bibles and go to the book of Judges chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the last chapter regarding the life of Samson. Samson again was the last of the 12 judges that are mentioned in the book of Judges. Gideon gets a few more verses than Samson does, but Otherwise, Samson has more chapters than any of the other judges, and he's probably the most well-known of the 12 that are mentioned here in the book of Judges. And he's well-known for his physical strength, and he's also well-known, unfortunately, for his moral weakness. And uh, as I said, he is a very complicated man. He is complicated because he is a man that God uses despite the fact that Samson is given to moral weakness, particularly women, and not just any women. He's attracted to Philistine women who are pagan women. They don't love God. They don't love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's attracted to them. He has relationships with them. We see in chapter 16, he even sleeps with a prostitute. So he's a very weak man morally, though he is physically strong. And because of that, we refer to him as a very complicated man, and it is sometimes difficult to understand how God would use a guy like this. Again, the life of Samson, he was the only of the judges who was 
living under a Nazarite vow. And this is important. I just want to repeat this. I know it comes into play, into focus in this last chapter of his life. So I just want to remind us that a Nazarite is one who took a vow of both separation and dedication. One who said that for the duration of the vow, your life was separate from the world and you were dedicated to God. In Samson's case, his vow was for a lifetime. But normally, somebody could take a vow for a particular amount of time. Samson, however, was called by God to lead a life that was separated from the world and dedicated to God for his entire life. And in Numbers chapter 6, it outlines three particular requirements for those who are living under a Nazarite vow. Number one, no eating or drinking anything from the grapevine that includes wine, grapes, grape juice, raisins. Number two, no cutting of the hair because that was a sign that you were under the covenant of the Nazarite vow, which means that Samson was never to cut his hair. And number three, no contact with any dead body. That's including human bodies or animal carcasses. And as I mentioned, as we've been looking over the last couple of weeks, Samson was a very compromising man, that he always kind of danced on the edge, and he always was um, pushing the envelope, all these different phrases that we would use for somebody, playing with fire, however other many little expressions you want to use. This is the life of Samson. And he was this kind of a guy. That's what makes him so complicated. And yet, clearly, God called him. He is the only one and all of the judges that the Bible says that God had spoken about his life before he was even conceived. That he's the only one of the twelve in the book of Judges that God sent the angel of the Lord, which is a Christophany, it's appearance of Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, to the mother of Samson to announce to her that she was going to conceive a child. She had been barren and unable to conceive. And so obviously God's hand was on this guy's life, so much so that the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mother and to announce that she's even going to conceive him. So there's no question that God's hand was on this guy's life even though he stumbles and sins in many grievous ways. And in Hebrews 11, he gets mentioned in the Hebrew Hall of Faith as a man who did valiant things for God. So how do we reconcile this? This is troubling. And I want to particularly just focus on this for just a little bit because there are some of you that have encountered in your lifetime spiritual men and women who were godly, who loved Jesus, who were followers of the Lord, who were influential in your life, and sadly, some of them had moral failures, and some of them walked away from faith. Some of them perhaps turned out to be false teachers or whatever, and it is easy for people to become disillusioned with God because of a leader who was a failure in different ways, morally, spiritually, And so it's important sometimes we need to separate the faithful deeds that someone might have done for the Lord from the unfaithful lives that they lived. And that's hard sometimes. Sometimes those things are connected. And unfortunately, if you don't learn to separate it, if you had someone in your life who was a godly influence, who ended up having some kind of moral failure or walked away from the church or whatever, if you don't learn to separate faithful deeds from an unfaithful life, then you are liable to call into question your own salvation, your own walk with the Lord, because you're going to want to dismiss, well, if this person was such a godly influence in my life, and now they've had these moral failures or they've walked away from the Lord, what does that mean about the security of my own salvation? You have to separate 
their faithful deeds, because obviously at one point in their life they were doing faithful things for God, it was influential for you, from their unfaithful lives that they lived. And so it's important for us to separate that so that, you know, our own security and our salvation or our own, you know, love for Jesus or our own involvement in the church does not become threatened because of someone else's failure in your life. People will fail you. People are frail and sinful. And so, unfortunately, that is the case sometimes. And yet God still uses frail people for his glory. Nobody's justifying Samson's life. Nobody's making excuses for his sin. I'm certainly not, and I don't want that to come across in the course of this teaching. Nobody's condoning his behavior. It is sinful. It's no doubt grievous to God. And yet God still used him. Now, he's going to come to a very sad ending here, his life. Very embarrassing conclusion to his life that we're going to see here in chapter 16. And so there's the price that he does pay for his moral weakness and for his sinful life. There is a price that he pays. But God in his sovereignty still uses frail people, ordinary people, for his extraordinary work. That's just how he is. You know, because there's only one perfect person who ever walked the face of the earth. That's Jesus. And so everybody else that God uses in the course of human history to accomplish his eternal sovereign things will be frail, fallen, sinful people. Again, no one is condoning that. It's just a matter of fact. When you look in the Bible, the people that God used. So that's Samson here. His unfaithful life does not negate the faithful things that he did for God, but it does preclude him from being an example of a life well lived. And so we're going to see some of the things that we can learn from his compromised life. And by the way, when Paul was writing his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and Paul was recalling his own Jewish history, he was talking about the faithlessness of the Israelites, particularly in their years of the wilderness wandering between Egypt and the promised land, and how they suffered and died because of their unfaithfulness. An entire generation dies in the wilderness, only their children go into the promised land. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, he says, now all these things happened to them as examples, as examples, and they were written for our admonition. And he goes on to write there in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So some of the things you read in the Bible are written as examples to us for our admonition. Clearly, Samson's life is one of those examples. His life is written to us that we might be admonished. Hey, wake up to some of the things that he fell into. Some of the things that caused him to really sin before God. So, complicated man, but God used him. Let's take a look here at chapter 16 together. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. So there you go. At the beginning of chapter 16, here we are. He sees a prostitute. He goes down to Gaza. Now Gaza was the capital city of the Philistine territory at this particular time. He's going into enemy territory 
to sleep with a prostitute. I mean, none of this makes sense on any level. The Philistines are your enemies. So you're going to their capital city, you're hanging out with them, you're fraternizing with the enemy, and you're finding a prostitute there. But there he is, there he goes. Now, Gaza was a particular city at this time, but Gaza is now the name of a region that hugs the Mediterranean coast, and it is today where about a half a million Palestinians live. But I want to say again, the modern-day Palestinians are not the descendants of the Philistines. The Philistines were seafaring people that end up, you know, being wiped off of history. So they're not the same. But the Palestinians of today do occupy the same, the similar region and territory that the ancient Philistines did that we're reading about here in our story. So here Samson goes down to Gaza, saw a harlot there, and went into her. And it says, when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. Of course, because he's in Philistine territory. Verse 3, and Samson lay low till midnight. And then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So this is this guy, right? So he's like, I'm going to go down into enemy territory to their capital city. I'm going to find me a prostitute. That's what he does. And then he sleeps with her. And then around midnight, he's like, under the cover of darkness, I'd better get back home. And then he leaves the prostitute. Oh, but the gates are locked. Oh, because he's in the capital city of the Philistines. They've locked him in. Well, no problem for Samson because he's got this supernatural strength. He doesn't have a key to unlock the door. So what does he do? He just does what I do when I come to a locked door. I rip it off its hinges. That's what he does. He rips it off its hinges, bar and all. And historians believe that the fortified gates of a city would have weighed anywhere from 800 to 1,000 pounds. This is what this guy just pulls off, throws it over his shoulder, heads up the hill that faces Hebron. So this is this dude, very, very physically strong. But again, the tragic story of his life is morally weak. Now, as I mentioned, and we're going to see it spelled out here in a minute, it appears that Samson was not this ripped, really shredded, jacked up guy. He's probably a very ordinary looking guy because they don't understand the secret of his strength. If you're looking at a guy who's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're not going to wonder, what's the secret of your strength? It's going to be pretty obvious. At least Arnold in his earlier days. But anyway... Like, I can't even complain. But that's the deal here. He's probably a very average-looking guy. Because why? The strength that he has, it's not because he's well-built. I mean, he might have been, but it's probably not the case. His strength is from the Lord. And he forgets this. Now, verse 4. He's done with a prostitute in Gaza. We come to a second woman. And this is the one that he's most known to have had a relationship with. We're introduced here in verse 4 to Delilah. So here we go, verse 4. Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now the valley of Sorek is about 30 miles northeast of Gaza. So he's moved on. This is a separate woman altogether. It is believed, though it doesn't specifically say, that she is a Philistine herself because she has a close connection 
with the Philistine leaders. And so you're not going to have a close connection with the Philistine leaders if you're a Jew. So it's more than likely she is a Philistine. Again, this is a problem. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Okay, so this is kind of the proof text why it's believed that Samson was just looking like an ordinary man. Because they're asking, find out where his great strength lies. He may not have been all that muscular. And it says, and every one of us, Philistine lords, the leaders, every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, Bible scholars believe that the number of the lords of the Philistines, the number of the leaders, were five. So we don't know for sure, but let's just say five. And each of them is going to give her 1,100 pieces of silver, which is a shekel. And so when you convert the weight and the dollar value, 1,100 shekels is about 28 pounds of silver. And you multiply this times five. So now it represents about 140 pounds of silver. So I just looked up today to see, okay, what was silver trading at so we can get like a modern equivalent. So silver today is around $25 an ounce. So this is the equivalent in modern dollars of $56,000. So for $56,000, you're going to sell out this guy. All right. It's not like, you know, the price of a Happy Meal, $56,000, $56,000. But it's not like it's a million dollars. It's 56000 And so this is what they offer her. We'll give you 56000 if you find out the secret of his strength, and then tell us. And so Delilah said to Samson, verse 6, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. <laughs> and Samson said to her, Well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, this is a lie. This is a lie. This is lie number one. He's going to lie three times. <laughs> like, there's nothing good about this scene at all. You've just finished sleeping with a prostitute. Now you're moving to a Philistine girl, and you're going to start to lie to her and sleep with her. Okay. So, he tells her this. So, verse 8, so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now, it doesn't tell us how did she bind him. Was he just like a willing partner? You know, is this like a little funny stuff in the bedroom? I don't know. They just go, let me tie you up. All right, are you into that? Okay, let's tie, tie me up, babe. You know, so I, it doesn't say he was asleep. Look, some of you are like, did he just say that? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how she tied him up. He had to be willing here. If he's asleep, is she sliding it under? I don't know. It doesn't say here, but she ties him up. It's probably an indication that he's into this. I don't know. It's just 50 shades of Gaza. I don't know what's going on here. But anyway, but verse 9 says, Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secrets of his strength was not known. So I was like, okay. So now, if this happens once to you, are you going to learn? Not Samson. Next verse. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me. You've mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. 
He's like, you're really into this tying me up thing, aren't you? Okay. So he said to her, well, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. It's lie number two. This isn't true. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. All right. So second ruse. All right. Still, verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now. Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me, tell me what you may be bound with. It's like, man, this chick's really into this binding thing. All right. And he said to her, if you weave seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. (laughs) What? Yeah, if you make a rug out of my hair, (laughs) just hook me up to a loom, babe, and start weaving Weaving my hair, now it's never been cut, so it's got to be pretty long. So you just got to pull it out of the man bun here and put it into the loom. And so it says there, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep. Now this time it does say he was asleep when she did this. And he pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. So it's still attached to his head. (laughs) Look... There is a serious problem when, for the third time, you have been saying something that is a lie, but on the third time, you've got a daggone loom stuck to your head, and he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. Like, she's, she's up to something here. Still doesn't get it. So, she said to him, verse 15, how can you say I love you? How can you say... I love you when your heart is not with me. How can you say this? How can you say that this is the third time I've asked you and you have not? Now look, the reality is her heart's not with him. It's her heart that's not with him. She's ready to trade this boy in for $56,000. But that's what she asks. She goes, you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass, look at this. When she pestered him daily. Every man, look at me right here. Look here. Look right here. Do not look to the left or the right. Look right here. She pestered him daily with her words and pressed him. Look, so that his soul was vexed to death. I wanted to die. Now, have you noticed this? This isn't the first time we talked about this. He gets hooked up with women who wear him down like this. I mean, they're just like pleading and crying. And and so he is just, I'm ready to die. And so verse 17, that he told her all his heart and he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head. Now, listen, he's going to tell her the truth now. No razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay, now he just told her, you know, look, this is part of his vow, the Nazarite vow, you don't cut your hair. Now, the secret of his strength was not in his hair itself. It's what his hair symbolized. His hair symbolized that he was under a Nazarite vow because he was separate from the world and dedicated to God. The cutting of his hair, which is what number six tells us, was the ending of the Nazarite vow. 
which then indicates that you are no longer, at least purposefully, separated from the world and dedicated to God. That's why his strength is going to leave him. It's not because there's magic in his hair. It is because what his hair symbolized, that he was dedicated unto God, separated from the world. You cut my hair, the vow's off. Hope is Our days are sometimes filled with nonstop movement, aren't they? The pastors, staff, and community here at Cornerstone Connection don't want you to miss out on nuggets of wisdom from God's Word. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can connect with us from anywhere. Interested in hearing more? Go to cornerstoneconnection.cc where Pastor Gary Hamrick has more audio messages for you to tune into. Scroll down until you see the space that says Teaching Library. Once there, we've made it as simple as possible to search by topic, speaker, or book. We pray that you'll be uplifted and encouraged in your walk with Jesus. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to stop by. We have Sunday services at 8.30, 10, and 11.45. Is the middle of your week more free? Come join us on Wednesday evenings then at 7. Were you blessed by what you heard today? Would you consider donating some of your resources? If so, it's pretty simple. You can use our mobile app or click on the Give Now tab found at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, That's all the time we have for today, but we look forward to our next time together right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.